In this episode, I'll talk about anthropomorphism and how it's bad to do that with our horses. Or is it? So here we go. Episode 70, Anthropomorphism. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Now, first of all, I want to say that I think I should get some sort of award for having to say the word anthropomorphism as many times as I'm about to during this episode. It is definitely a mouthful. So I apologize in advance if I repeatedly butcher that word. <laughs> anyway, this is definitely a subject that comes up a lot. I get asked pretty frequently about it. And recently I had somebody um, send me a question about it. I don't remember if this was emailed in or I grabbed it off of Facebook. I apologize to the person who sent it in. Hopefully uh, you'll you'll see that I'm I'm answering it. So this is a pretty typical kind of question. So she writes in, um, well, actually first she writes in that she's enjoying the podcast. So yay. Uh, she's a, a Legerite rider with Philip Carl. And um, she says, I'm often astonished at the similarities in your philosophy. And she thinks I have a nice way of explaining some of the concepts. So yay. It actually um, is my dream that I think what I'm teaching is to help, you know, help you communicate and get along with your horse. So that really should dovetail with many, many, many systems. It just won't, it won't dovetail with systems who want to like overly control and, you know, not treat their horses nicely. <laughs> but Philip Carl is amazing. Anyway, she goes on to say, I have a suggestion for the podcast. Um, she says, I'm frequently confronted by people anthropomorphizing horses. It can be in so many different ways, whether they're calling a behavior naughty or that their horse is deliberately trying to knock them off on a low branch, etc. Says, I've heard you discuss this a bit in some of your podcasts, but I think it would actually make a fantastic top topic for a whole podcast. I think that there is a lack of understanding of learning theory and of the way horses think, and then people layer on a whole lot of human attributes. I see that this often leads to some unfair situations for the horses. So yeah, so definitely, you know, thank you for that really thought, you know, thoughtful observations. Definitely, this is a professional who cares about horses and is trying to help people and is seeing patterns of things, something that, that's getting in the way. And so I love that. That's, we're always trying to figure out how do we get to the stuff that we, you know, the deep stuff, the stuff that we really want to get to with our horses. And we have to look at so many layers of it. So I love that this is um, being brought up. So what is anthropomorphism? And I looked it up and it says it's the 
um, attribution of human characteristics or behavior to a god, animal, or object. Now, the thing is that most of us actually have grown up surrounded by anthropomorphism. So think of children's books, cartoons, right? Bugs Bunny, <laughs> Mickey Mouse, and, you know, the little engine that could. So not even an animal, but a, a train. You know, we, so we are raised trying to give human characteristics to things that aren't humans. Uh, so it's not surprising that we can end up doing this as adults. So I guess the real question is, is anthropomorphism good or bad when it comes to our horses and probably animals in general, or, you know, rocks? <laughs> uh, you can do whatever you want with a rock. I don't think it's going to hurt it one way or the other. So, you know, have fun with that. But as, as some of you might expect from me, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm not going to be saying it's good or it's bad. We just have to look at, you know, what's actually happening and what are the results that are, you know, what's the effect? What's the cause and effect? If you anthropomorphize, what, what outcome is that having in your, in your horses and in your relationship or in the results that you're getting? So there's many who may say that we shouldn't um, attribute any human emotions to our horses or any animal. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that things like fear or love or frustration or jealousy or sadness or confusion, to name a few, I don't think those are exclusive to just humans. And I think there's plenty of examples of animals I was going to say feeling, expressing those things. We don't know what they're feeling. We can barely figure out what we're, our, ourselves are feeling, our own selves and other humans. But I think there's plenty of examples of animals seeming to feel those things. And it, it's kind of like, which is worse to imagine, to say that they don't, because we can't figure out if they do or not, you know, or to think that they do, you know, I don't, I'm not sure which, which would be worse. So am I anthropomorphizing <laughs> if I say that a horse is jealous? I, if, if I don't see jealousy as an exclusively human trait, then I'm not anthropomorphizing. I'm just saying, the horse is acting jealous. So I looked up what jealous means. And jealous means fiercely protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions. So I've seen horses protect their resources, protect their things, protect their pile of hay or their food. And then, you know, jealous and envy Jealousy and envy are closely related. So I looked up envy. And envy is, uh, one definition is the desire to have a quality possession or other desirable attribute or belonging to somebody else. So envy is an emotion 
that occurs when one person wants something that another person has. Well, I've seen horses want something that another horse is having or getting. It certainly looks like that. So I don't think that things like even jealousy, I don't think that's so complex and so um, unique to humans. Now, I think there definitely are some emotions and some, uh, you know, feelings <laughs> that are exclusive to humans, probably. How do we know? We don't know. Uh, Mark Twain said, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. <laughs> so maybe embarrassment is a human, ex you know, exclusive human emotion. So as long as I keep in mind <laughs> that um, I'm always guessing, I'm always guessing at what anyone is feeling, animal, human, sometimes even myself, you know, it's, I think it's fine to say something like, my horse seems frustrated, or he's acting fearful, right? We have some clues. And I think that it's really useful to be thinking about what might they be experiencing, what emotion might they have. There's so many people that would say that horses have no emotions. I mean, it's not unusual for people to even think that that animals don't feel pain just because they're not you know pouting and throwing a conniption like most humans do <laughs> you know they've just learned a, a way to survive by not letting anybody know that they're injured that's a survival technique doesn't mean they're not feeling it so i have to say i think i anthropomorph i think i anthropomorphize a lot. But I also think I'm very aware of it. And I, I find myself doing it in a way that helps me understand them. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty aware of the patterns I create between me and my horses and in my horses. And I'm, you know, I'll fully admit, I anthropomorphize to a point. I don't think there's just one bucket there's lots of different ways to do it and we'll we'll kind of I'll keep talking <laughs> so before all the science-based people's heads explode let me explain or you know all the learning theory or you know whatever don't don't let your heads explode when I anthropomorphize I try to do it in a way to to help myself help my human brain see my horse better and to know who they are. For example, I call Natia Dora the Explorer. And that reminds me that she loves to go new places. Solana is my little diva girl. And that reminds me that she really seems to enjoy, she often chooses to do this, is to spend time in the wash stall, being tended to. If another horse is in the wash stall and she comes in, she'll actually go in there and join them and try to hog the, you know, get my attention. She'll push herself between me and that horse. So that seems like, was it jealousy? Was she wanting something that that other horse was getting? Am I anthropomorphizing? Oh, I said that really well that time. Uh, it's probably better if I don't think about 
So am I anthropomorphizing if I call Solana a diva girl? Or I call Hotshot a poet? I say Hotshot's a poet at heart. And that reminds me that he really enjoys peaceful moments more than work. It's just who he is. Atomic is a genius who wears a leather jacket and picks a bar fight now and again. <laughs> so doing it in a way that helps me see my horse in a different way, see my horse in a way that my, my limited human brain can relate to, can somehow make some connections. It doesn't mean that I actually think that they are those things. I don't actually think Hotshot has a notebook and is like writing words down, but it's an essence. Me painting that little picture or making that caricature gives me an essence and that helps me remember who he is. He's not just horse number four, right? He's hotshot. He's that guy. So there's a book that I really love. I may have mentioned this before. Uh, it's by Dessa Hockley. And it's called, Is Your Horse a Rock Star? Understanding Your Horse's Personality. And um, she has you try to understand your horse and decide, you know, where is he on the scale of dominant versus submissive? Where is he on the scale of um, tends to be energetic or versus low energy? Does he tend to be more curious or tend to be more afraid? Uh, and is he more friendly or more aloof? And this is talking about the, the horse in a herd, you know, so if you had 20 horses in a herd, which one is in there playing the, you know, playing move your feet games and which one is standing off in a corner by himself. If you throw a new object in the pasture, which ones run away, which one goes towards things like that, which one's prancing around, which one's walking, <laughs> who's pushing who, that sort of thing. And then based on the combination, she comes up with these, um, these little avatars or these little characters and they're very anthropomorphized and I find them really, really helpful. So, you know, depending on who they come out as, they might be a mob boss or a wallflower or a lone wolf or the worker bee. And then she has these super cute illustrations, the people pleaser. And so she creates this essence and then does a really nice job of of telling you you know this type of horse you know do do this with them they like this sort of thing they this other type likes that sort of thing and it's um it's just so it's like it's simplified and almost made into a children's book style using anthropomorph anthropomorphization <laughs> to help our silly human brains have a chance at relating to our horse so that's the part where I think anthrop man, anthropomorphization, I don't even know if that's a word, you know what I'm talking about, where that can be really helpful, right? So, you know, to, to children's books are written like that to make it easy for us to understand concepts and for to make it easy for kids to relate to the characters. Well, our horses are sort of aliens to us. Let's, let's use it to help us understand our horses. However, 
when does anthropomorphism go wrong? It goes wrong, I think, when we attribute human style thinking capabilities to our horses. So our neocortexes work differently than our horses. I think Darwin, Darwin had some sort of quote, oh man, I wish I'd looked this up, but it was something about that, you know, all animals are separated um, more by the depth. Like they're all very similar. It's just the depth of how they think. So horses can think, but primate brains think on a higher level, on a more complex level. But I think our, all of our primitive brains, we're still mammals. I'm a mammal, just like a horse. I'm an animal, just like a horse. Right? So there, we have a lot in common. I think we have a lot in common. But thinking, reasoning, stuff like that definitely is different in our primate brain compared to horse. And I'm not going to go through all the science of it because I probably can't speak that intelligently about it, but I can say that it's different. That'll be my next hobby. So, you know, what does that look like? Things like when people say, he's doing that to get back at me. My horse is doing that to get back at me. He's trying to make me look bad. My horse is trying to make me feel guilty. He's being naughty. Or when a human says, he knows better as a justification as of, of a, for a punishment. And what all of those things have in common is a human finding a reason to blame someone else for what didn't work instead of being accountable for our own or their own responsibility to train well. And passing blame is very much a human trait. And I don't think horses do that. So there's a unique, <laughs> a unique quality. So all those things, you know, it's not so much for me when people say he's trying to make me look bad, he's trying to make me feel guilty. Yes, it's true. You're attributing a, a human type of thinking to the horse, but I don't think that's the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is that human's trying to blame someone else for what didn't work. So I think, you know, it doesn't matter. It could be a horse, a coworker. I'll bet you they do the same thing with their family or at work or with friends. Something goes wrong and right away there's someone else to blame. So yes, I think that person needs to be told, hey, you know, I don't think a human, I don't think a horse brain thinks like that. But the core problem is, why aren't we taking responsibility for what our actions? That's the deeper conversation. I've also seen people say, he bucked me off when actually what happened was the horse tripped and the person fell off. Again, blame. And to think, you know, that a horse, the horse's brain thinks in terms of trying to make someone feel guilty well, that's a very complex thought, for sure. 
trying to make someone else feel guilty about like that's that leave it to human to like layer and layer and layer. But, you know, this kind of anthropomorphism can also show up in in other ways, not always blaming the horse, but it can show up in ways such as, oh, my horse prefers the pink polo wraps. My horse feels more secure when I have a stronger bit on him. So that's, you know, that's saying that you know how the horse feels, but in those cases, I wouldn't say that the problem is anthropomorphism. Shoot. <laughs> I wouldn't say that the problem is anthropomorphism. I think that's projection. I think that that person prefers the pink polo wraps and just wants to say that the horse does for whatever reason. Maybe it's just because it's fun. That's pretty benign, right? Now go ahead. Tell me that your horse prefers the pink polar wraps. I don't think it's going to matter one way or the other. Now, if you say, my horse feels more secure when I have a stronger bit, or I, I get this a lot, my horse feels more secure when I have a stronger contact. Not so sure about that. That's probably projection. I think that rider feels more secure when they have a stronger bit or more contact. I don't think horses sit around in the pasture going, I wish someone put a strong bit and hold it on me. I'd feel much more secure. <laughs> so I think there's just some problem solving, um, you know, problem solving things or rationalization for please don't make me, you know, take this bit off or loosen the reins because I'm going to be scared. So again, as a trainer, if my horse says, my horse feels more secure with a stronger bit, I'm not going to go, you shouldn't anthropomorphize because horses' brains don't work like that. I'm going to say, are you sure it's him that feels more secure? <laughs> you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go deep. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are gonna be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before. So it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. So I think the biggest danger of anthropomorphism, the biggest danger is that we, we don't really see what's really happening. That's the problem. 
will misinterpret body language. And we won't train as well as we could if we were seeing what's actually happening in front of us without putting all these weird guesses or blames or projections onto it. So when we do it that way, we're actually blocking ourselves from finding a solution. So the danger if we don't allow ourselves to play a little bit with anthropomorphism is that we'll we'll end up erring on the side of not being open to the possibility of seeing the complex emotional states and relationships that horses actually can experience. So I think there have been bad situations for horses created by people who are underestimating their ability to feel and underestimating their ability to have complex relationships and emotions. And there have been bad situations for horses created by people who do anthropomorphize. But as I said before, I don't think it's really the anthropomorphism that's the problem. I think it's the blaming and the projecting and not facing reality. So I think the key is to do our very best to really look at what is the what is of any situation. When I studied with Miguel Ruiz of the um, author of the Four Agreements and the Toltec philosophy, they were so um, encouraging of the, the you know that was the key. Like, what's the what is? Take out the emotion. Take out the judgment. Take out the blaming. Take out the story. Take out the guessing, and just go. What happened? What's the what is of any situation? See what is actually happening. See the cause and the effect. Have self-awareness about what we're doing and what we're thinking. And then notice if, we, if we're measurably successful in having our horses understand our rules, understand our communications, and causing them to be willing to cooperate. If our horses can understand our rules and they're willing to cooperate, you know, if we can do that, then I don't think it hurts anyone to compare your horse to a ballerina or a rock star. I don't think it hurts to say that Solana would have been one of the popular girls in high school or that Ovation is the class clown. If this episode resonates with you, Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.